Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. All right, Alana, we have Brett Boone coming up this week who hosts his own podcast, so clearly there's going to be a lot of conversing going on. We'll try and put the pressure on him to ask us some questions, but the Boone family is fascinating. But before all that, too, I just want to say this podcast is airing during the week of Jackie Robinson Day, so this releases on Wednesdays, and Jackie Robinson Day this year falls on a Saturday, which to me, the cool part is every team is playing. It happens pretty frequently where it's on a random day that you just don't have every team playing on the schedule. I think it's special that every single team and half the ballparks, of course, will get to celebrate Jackie Robinson Day at the same time. So many players used to have a huge opinion about this, Scott. A lot of players, naturally African-American players, took exception to the fact that not every team was playing on Jackie Robinson Day. Because as you're right, obviously April 15th moves on, you know, as far as the calendar is concerned from date to date or day to day, not date to date. It's always April 15th, but it's on different days of the week. And sometimes there'd be getaway days or sometimes teams weren't playing. So uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, Matt Kemp about it. And, um, you know, obviously the Los Angeles Dodgers do it big as they should. Um, it's their responsibility to um, being the team with obviously the Brooklyn Dodgers that signed Jackie Robinson back in the day with Branch Rickey. But I love the fact that everybody plays on this day. I love the fact that, you know, the league has recognized this as such a special day uh, throughout Major League Baseball, not only for the impact that Jackie had on the field, but really more importantly, the act of what Jackie did off the field and, and civil rights and equality. And um, I, I, it was a very special day at Dodger Stadium. Uh, the Dodgers always play at home on Jackie Robinson Day, as they should. And, uh, you know, it, it continues to be a special day uh, and an important day around the league. Here's, so here's the one thing I would suggest, because I feel like there's at least a few other days on the baseball calendar where every team plays. I know it's easier said than done. The scheduling masterminds behind the scenes that have to put that, the, this whole um, wonderful basket of, of different requests together into a schedule. It's probably not easy, but let's get every single Jackie Robinson day, all of the teams playing. You know, let's, let's no doubt happen. No I, doubt. I, I agree. It's always, you know, and, and teams still get the opportunity afterward to be like, you know, let's, let's wear if you want. Um, no, I think they all do anyway. They, there is still the time after that where number 42 is everywhere. Right. Even if you're playing a day later, but I just think it's cooler if it can all be done at the same time. And I love the fact that obviously uh, everybody wears 42 and obviously Robinson Cano was the last to, allowed to wear it um, because he was grandfathered in. And if you don't know, which I know you do, Scott, but if some of our listeners don't know, Robinson Cano was named after Jackie Robinson. Um, so obviously uh, he was allowed to wear 42, but just a really cool thing that Ken Griffey Jr. brought to the attention um, of the commissioner, Bud Selig at the time, like, why are we not all wearing 42? Um, and because if you go back to the story with Pee Wee Reese that said that, um, obviously I wasn't there when he said it, but said that, hey, why don't we all wear 42? Nobody can tell us apart on the field. And, you know, obviously because they were his teammates were trying to protect Jackie from all of the hatred and the bigotry uh, off the field. So he's a very special man. I'm sorry that I never got to meet him in person, but I've had a lot of conversations with his unbelievable family um, and just the the legend that he was and the legacy that he left. Well said. And yeah, that was an easy solution. Um, I don't know why we don't all do 42. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it looks the same. They can't tell us apart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great for the play-by-play. I've done, I've done that before. I'm like, <laughs> who's who? I'll take it. I'll take the hit. Much bigger meeting, the Jackie yes. Robinson Day, yes. which we celebrate uh, this year on a Saturday. I've got a little something on Ken Griffey Jr. when we get to this week in baseball. But first, let's bring in Brett Boone to the lounge. Fourteen-year big leaguer, three-time All-Star, four Gold Gloves. He played with some super talented teams. He contributed a lot to the game, and he still is. He's also part of maybe what Alana, the most 
famous multi-generational baseball, baseball family, family. Out there. yes yeah yes one fair. one of them if not the most famous yes agreed yeah you know the last name well you know the first name well podcast superstar too we'll get into that brett boone inside the lounge i've done some work with him in the past too brett how's life it's good guys thanks for having me on your show i've been checking it out recently so uh yeah looking forward to it it's funny that we say that you have one of the most famous baseball families because you do. I mean, it's obvious a long line of of boons. What I didn't know, and I feel like a moron, I, this is so un-American of me. Um, I didn't realize that you're a descendant of Daniel Boone. Like that's 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 pretty crazy. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I feel terrible that I didn't. And uh, so how often do you get historical questions about your ancestors? Alana, I didn't know that either until recently. <laughs> <laughs> when people started telling me that I am a descendant, I said, really? Well, it makes sense uh, to this day. You know, everybody in my family has been told that recently. And we all just kind of go, well, I, I guess it's probably true. You know, we've never done a, a family tree or anything like that. But yes, I've been told that. So maybe uh, an opportunity for Ancestry.com to sponsor mm, your podcast. That's true. That's oh. true. And, and and I do think it it's true. Um I've heard it enough now that that I'm just going to buy it at face value so we can throw it on the Wikipedia <laughs> and insert, you know, the Daniel Boone joke, right? Like, dude could hit a heater no matter what, whatever. Right. There, there's got to be something to it. it. He had good hand eye coordination at, yeah. at the very least is my guess. Right. For those of you that are wondering what the heck we're talking about, of course, Daniel Boone, duh, founded Boonesboro, one of the first English speaking settlements west of the Appalachian Mountains. So there you have it. Who doesn't know that? I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, get get up to get up to snuff here. Come on, kids. Well, just one more while while the Daniel Boone topic is hot. So <laughs> I, I didn't uh, come prepared for this. I, I, I could have had either. some I could have had some little nuances. <laughs> well, I'll give you the only reason I know who he is, is um, when I went to summer camp when I was younger, the the bunk that I was in was named Boone. And that's where we learned who Daniel Boone is. So um, I knew about Daniel before I knew about because I was like six about mm -hmm. Brett and and Aaron and Bob, et cetera. So, um, which by the way, too. guys was about two years ago that Scott was at summer camp because <laughs> I, right. I do, I do believe that Scott's about 11 years old. I'm going backwards in time. So, <laughs> Hey, Brett looks damn young too. And obviously I know for you, we'll get into the playing career, but let's do that while we're on it. Um, Cause we can see it too. The, the headphones, he is properly set up uh, some trophies in the background. Um, how did you get into doing more on the you know podcast side and and gripping that world, which I figured always was going to be a great fit for you because you can have a conversation that's actually really interesting and engaging and ask questions with the best of them. Well, Scotty, I, a couple of years ago, you mentioned earlier, we, uh, me and you worked together briefly at, at MLB. Um, I was, I was at a point in my life, you know, I had this career, I kind of go out after my career and I didn't do anything for a long time. I worked for a couple of years under Billy Bean with, with the Oakland A's really enjoyed that side of it working, especially the minor league side. It was really cool for me, uh, to be able to work with these kids and maybe give them just a little bit of, of advice here and there on, you know, maybe things I wish I would have known as a 21 year old, as a, as a 22 year old. And I got to. I got to do that for a couple of years, but it was starting to get in the way of my kids. And I have a younger son now that's in the minor leagues. And at the time, uh, it was his first year on varsity um, at his high school and, and going over to, to spring training for the entire time. I was missing his whole season. So that didn't work out. Uh, you know, I had, I had to kind of move on from that as much as I really enjoyed doing it. And I just woke up one day and thought, you know, I want to start doing something given getting back in the game. I have a lot to give to this game. So hence I came out to, uh, and shot with you for, for three or four segments. Um, and that was right at the height of COVID and COVID hit like a week later. Uh, so my agent at the time, he told me, he said, listen, I want you to start a podcast and I want you to get some reps on this side of the mic. Uh, and my, my first thing was that you, are you crazy? No, I'm not going to do a podcast. I'm not going to interview people. That's a pain in the butt. I'm going to have to make these phone calls. And anyway, I, I reluctantly agreed to do it. I started doing it. I listened to some of my first ones and they're funny to listen back to. <laughs> uh, and it kind of just kind of 
got a life of its own and I started having two a week. And, you know, I started off by calling my buddy, I call Griffey and, you know, my, my buddies that I played with uh, on, on the teams I played with throughout my career. And we kept moving on and it got a little bit better. And I added to the team. I've got a great team around me that, that really helps me do this podcast correctly. And, and I've learned a lot uh, being on this side of the mic. I've learned to listen, you know, listen to what people have to say and point and counterpoint, but um, it's been a process and, and it's been coming up on three years now. We've been doing it. Uh, we're going to, we're going to go into, uh, we're going to partner with Odyssey sports. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up very soon. Um, and we'll see where it takes me. I, I still don't know long-term what I want to do right now. The podcast you know, like I said, pairing with Odyssey, we'll see where that takes me, uh, but definitely want to stay in the game. And, uh, you know, because I still think at this point, I've got a lot to, to offer to the game. I don't know whether one day I'm going to be back on the field again. That could be. Uh, but right now I'm just I'm just kind of playing it by ear and, and we'll see where it goes. Well, you're doing a great job if you're getting picked up uh, with partnerships and those types of things. And for those of you listening now, you can hear the Brett Boone podcast wherever you get your podcast. But one thing I like about what you do, Brett, is you can take players or people rather places that they're typically not allowed to go. And you just said that you just did a podcast about what it's like to show up to a spring training as a guy that's trying to make a team or as a veteran that's trying to prove that he still has some value. Your son, Jake, is in the minor leagues. You mentioned that. What types of things would you warn a young man? And he's a, he has a different perspective, obviously, because his his family, he's been around the game his entire life. Right. But what are some of the things in, that you talked about in that podcast about, hey, you know, this is what you can expect for the minor from the minor leagues. It's certainly not glamorous like the bigs. Well, the minor leagues is I, I embraced my time in the minor leagues. I laugh at today's, you know, you see a lot of controversy around, oh, they don't pay us enough and and we should have better this and better that. When I was in the minor leagues, we had nothing. Mm-hmm. I made $750 a month. I remember paying about a hundred and a quarter uh, for rent. I moved in with four other guys and they said, for a hundred, you can, you can add the couch. I said, it's good <laughs> enough for me. You know, I'm here to play baseball. I'm here to get out, get the hell out of a ball. You know, I'm going to be in the big leagues in a minute. And, and I just, I was one of those kids. I didn't care. I slept on the couch. I got to the ballpark. I hit early every day. We played a game. I'd come home. We'd watch ESPN and watch SportsCenter and see how the big leaguers were doing. That's was my life. Uh, money wasn't a factor there. And and uh, I've kind of I teased my son because he's in that generation where all these minor leaguers. Oh, we should. And I said, what have you ever done for the game? What do you add Amen. to the bottom line? You add nothing. <laughs> Once you make it, believe me, you know, the money they're making these days, you're going to be well compensated for that time you went through the minor leagues. But I think. uh having those experiences and then making it and looking back, I think it, I think it made you appreciate it a lot more than, than, Oh, I've, I've got a place to stay and I'm making $3,000 a month instead of the, whatever it is. I mean, I'm all for if the organizations are willing to do it and, and they can compensate to make their life a little simpler at the minor league level. I'm all for that. I'm, I, I'm kidding when I say we had nothing and they should have nothing. No, I think the facilities now are, are, tremendous you know the the minor league spring training facilities i remember our spring training it was like i had this tiny little locker that i shared with somebody else and you know we had to all shower at a different time so we could fit into the locker space (laughs) you guys today i mean you've got three masseuses and you've got guys carte blanche i mean i remember in the minor leagues trying to get on the training table it's like pick a number yeah. Come back at two in the afternoon if you need some treatment. So things are different. I think they're they're different in a positive way. I think the game's going forward. Uh, and I think it, it it's going to make the product better in the long run. So I, I don't, uh, as much as I kid around about it, uh, I think these guys, what they have today is great. But the minor leagues is what it is. You know, you, you've got to, you got to put your time in, you got to put up the numbers and you've got to progress. Uh, you know, I got there pretty quick. My first full season was in double a, I got to the big leagues a year later. Um, but it's a process. And, and my son, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, he's a Princeton grad. He's one of those guys. So he's smarter than everybody else, but I, <laughs> but I've raised him. I tried to raise him the way my father raised me. And it, my dad was very quiet. Uh, whenever he was at one of my games, he, try to disappear and not be uh, the subject of, Oh, there's Brett's dad. He plays for the angels. Um, I always tried to stay out of, out of, out of sight uh, when it came to that. It's his, it's his time. It's his time to play. I leave him alone. um, And and pretty much uh, when we talk baseball, it's Jakey coming to me and say, dad, 
okay, I came this scenario. And what did you do when this was presented to you when you were my age? And that's a really cool time to kind of talk and maybe give him some advice. Uh, some mistakes that I made, maybe try not to make these mistakes or uh, just, just my life experience. So I wait for him to come to me, but I'm as hands off as I can be. I go see him, you know, I'll go during the minor league season and watch him play. And, and I try to act like my dad acted kind of <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. And, uh, you know, afterwards I get to spend some time with him and have, have dinner, but, uh, it's, it's his dream and, and we'll see what happens. Here's my one thing, Brett, there is one, I would say significant built-in advantage because if I was running a team and there's someone, of course, the talent has to be there, right? Not every former big leaguers kid is good, but if the kid is good and the, and the kid is talented, then for me, I'm like, there is a higher chance that this person is going to be able to handle the limelight. They're going to, they have a built in mentor who did make it. Um, so for me, I mean, you know, we looked at for years, like the Toronto Blue Jays at one time had like six, seven guys, right. Yeah. And still some of them, obviously there, like the Vladdy juniors and Bichette's and, and Biggio's. So uh, no matter how much or little a player wants to get from say their big league dad, it could be we're on the phone hours every day and he's taught me everything I know, or it could be even, you know, on the other end, Hey, when I need something or we, we act like a normal family, but then I have that resource. How much do you feel it helps? Um, and I'm not just saying for your son, for Jake, I'm saying for your whole family at this point, because I say multi-generation generational, Brad, because you can continue a legacy when I'm not going to do the Hey, uh, what's Thanksgiving dinner conversation like, right. but you know what I'm saying is like the conversations and the calmness and that one line that can make a difference in anyone's career is probably just normal in the Boone family at this point. It is. And, and Jake will get an earful from his grandpa now, you know, my dad, <laughs> uh, and it's because, uh, my dad is so proud of his family. My grandfather was that way. I was very close with my grandpa growing up. He passed away in, in 2004 and, as much as, you know, Gramps was always there and he was one of those guys back, you know, he played from, I believe, 47 to, to right around 1960. So it was a different time, different generation. Uh, some say the heyday of baseball, but but generations will debate that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he'd come to my game and, you know, he lived in San Diego. So we'd be on the road and we played the Padres. Of course, Gramps would be at the game. And after when we come out of the tunnel. I had a lot of family that was in San Diego, but Gramps would always stand in the back because it was a special conversation that, you know, my mm. aunts and uncles, it was good to say hi, give hugs, but Gramps had to have his special time with me and I'd walk over and it, it doesn't matter, Scotty, if I was three for four with, with two homers that night, I'd come over to him. And usually if I had that type of night, I'd go over with a nice smile on my face, kind of, kind of cocky. <laughs> and I uh, believe me, he was about to, to humble me because he'd say, uh, pretty good night tonight. How I, I said, yeah, Gramps, what'd you think? He goes, well, I'm, I want to talk about that last at bat <laughs> where you struck out. I'd be like, well, what about the other three? So I had that kind of relationship with my grandfather, uh, man, the Ted Williams stories and, and all the stories from his generation. So interesting. And, and I think when, when they're here, uh, you take it for granted that Gramps is going to be here forever. And these stories, you know, because for the 10th Ted Williams story in a row, I'd be like, Gramps, I've heard it 10 times. <laughs> but now I look back at it and how special those times were that he used to share that with me. My dad shares that we, we have a very good relationship. My, my dad and myself, uh, all of us are pretty close. We're, we're very different. You know, Aaron's much different personality wise than I am. He's more like my dad. Uh, my youngest brother, Matthew's a little more like myself. Uh, and Jakey's kind of a combo. He's quiet. He's, he's real humble. He's like I said, he's a Princeton guy. So academically, you know, he has a time to shine in a conversation. He, he likes to call me out on, on worldly things on life type stuff. <laughs> Baseball. He, he knows that he's related to Daniel Boone. That's right. <laughs> Baseball wise. He's, he's, uh, he's a listener and he likes to, likes to get my input, but I try to leave him alone as much as I can, you know, for me coming up, uh, I remember when I got called to the big leagues for the first time. And, and back then it was a big deal because I was the first third generation ever. So they made a big deal about it. In my mind, I was sick of hearing about it. And I kind of want to do the press conference and, and let me go play and show you that it's more than just a family thing. But they said, well, how much did that help you? And, and I thought about that for a long time. How much did it help me? And I've come up with my, my stock line now is I don't know much how much it really did help me as far as being a big leaguer, but I know 
one thing it didn't hurt me I, I can tell that for sure uh just being around that being around my dad as a kid and getting to grow up at veteran stadium and going to the ballpark uh just just really cool memories that i think once again as kids we take for granted no this is what my dad does i go to work with him you know that isn't that normal for everybody to go on the on the float after they win the 1980 world series well that, that's what we do uh, but now <laughs> being 53 years old and being able to look back uh, at those times, pretty special childhood that I had. And, and I just try to pass on uh, what my dad did for me. I try to do that for my kids. You mentioned veteran stadium and I would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, the passing of Tim McCarver. I had noticed that you um, tweeted out about him and Tim McCarver passing away at the age of, of 81, obviously um, synonymous with the Cardinals synonymous with the Phillies. And then certainly synonymous with uh, as a tremendous broadcaster. What do you remember about him? Timmy, I, I remember Tim uh, big personality as a kid, he, he, him and dad played together for, I think parts of two or three years. So I, I can remember Tim as a, as a kid, just hanging around the clubhouse, uh, like I said, big personality, loud, always keeping everybody loose in the clubhouse. And that was my earliest memories of, of McCarver. Then, of course, I come up, I play my career, and now I'm seeing Timmy's doing my games. <laughs> so, so you know, and, and that's when he comes up to me, Brett, you're really making me feel old. Well, now I know what it's like being that age, watching watching uh, kids of of teammates of mine get going through the minor leagues. Some of them are getting to the big leagues. Um, but I got to do... I got to do the 2003 postseason. Uh, it was the, the Yankees Red Sox uh, where my brother ended up hitting the home run to go to the World Series. And that was one of the first years that Fox did the third man in the booth and they had a player. Once again, just like the podcast at the beginning, I was very reluctant to go into the into the broadcast booth. I, I was kind of in the middle of my career. I was coming off a really good year, uh, but we had won 93 games with the Mariners. We didn't make it. I was kind of beat up and and kind of burnt out. I just needed a break. And Fox called and said, Hey, we'd really like to have you in the booth. And I said, no, thank you for the offer, but no. And then the offer got a little bit better and a little bit better. <laughs> and I thought about it and I thought, you know, to, uh, what's the worst case scenario? Uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to get to watch the Yankees, Red Sox. I'm going to get to watch Aaron play in the postseason, And, uh, and I got to do that. I uh, worked with Buck and, and McCarver and that was kind of surreal for me at the time. I'd come full circle from that kid being with Timmy to that that player that he he announced his games to now I'm working side by side. And believe mm -hmm. me, as a current player, I, I see what goes on behind the scenes, uh, what you guys do for a living, the preparation that goes into it uh, as a player just going into the booth as a current player. You really don't look at that. And I remember getting to the booth the first time and I've got, you know, Buck and McCarver and they've got notes <laughs> and highlighters. And I just walk into the booth like we ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and there, you know, Buck would tell me, Booney, uh, what are you going to say? What's your opener? I said, what do you mean? What is the opener? And he goes, well, here's what you could say. So, you know, I'm just kind of freewheeling it. I, I got in the booth and I remember sitting there thinking, man, this is hard because I'm a current player. And they're going to ask me to be critical, be critical. Of, of players. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, Pedro's pitching tonight. He just drilled a guy on purpose. Of course, Timmy goes, well, did he drill him on purpose, Brett? And I'm going, oh, because I know <laughs> I know Pedro's down in the locker room watching what I'm about to say. And, and I got to the point where I said, you know, I, I kind of have to be honest. I, I don't think there's anywhere to go. There's no way to comb this over. I said, of course, he drilled him on purpose. Pedro doesn't miss like that unless he wants to miss. Sure enough, the next day, going down for the pregame, uh, I'm walking through the Red Sox locker, and Pedro's looking at me, go, Booney, I didn't hit him on purpose. It was a breaking ball. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. well, here it goes. You know, <laughs> So I, I learned a lot there. You know, I, I think looking back, I would have taken it a little more serious than I did at the time. But I when you're playing, you're playing and you're not thinking I had no aspirations of ever going on to broadcast or TV or anything like that. You know, I was 32 years old and I was just doing this gig so I could watch uh, my brother play, but I learned a lot. Uh, I, like I said, I wish I would have taken a little more serious back then, but fast forward to now it's, it's kind of that humility and, and what goes into this and the preparation and the research and uh, there's a lot to it. So it's, it's been an interesting pro process for me from that time in 2003 to present, but Timmy, um, a lot of good memories. I had him on the podcast and 
And uh, my dad had just got back recently from, uh, they were in Philadelphia. They have reunions uh, once a year for that 1980 World Series team and, and uh, just inductees into the Hall of Fame. And, and I asked him, I said, how's Timmy doing? Because I knew on the podcast when I had him on, it's probably been eight, 10 months now. Uh, you could tell that he was, he was not doing that great. You know, he didn't sound like the, the normal Timmy. He still had moments where there was that Timmy McCarver personality, but you could tell that he was slowing down quite a bit. And, and uh, dad said, yeah, he, he was having trouble back in Philadelphia. When I heard the news today, sad, but, but um, you know, it, it happens, but, but he, he left a pretty awesome legacy. Uh, I think it was the tweet you were talking about, I said he's one of the great ambassadors of this game, and I truly believe that that Timmy was and, and had a long, great career, gave a lot to this game, and uh, it was sad to see that news today. Yeah, he was a big part of, you know, whether it's for someone their childhood or just their, their baseball, um, especially for someone like me, watching, listening, the whole deal in terms of learning about broadcasting and, and giving mm-hmm. your opinion, which, which I want to ask a follow-up about as well on that front so you mentioned hey tim puts you on the spot you gotta give your honest take on on pedro when you flip that when you were playing did you ever witness anything like that whether it's from you or as a player i'm curious because i mean it's just the nature of the business like which i think is appreciated more nowadays anyway the authenticity of someone asks you about Whose side are you on in this in this you know fight? Or there's a, a player that was hit by a pitch, or there was a bad call, or a player is doing something that seems selfish. Like, did how do you think players take it, and how how did you kind of take it, and, and your teammates around you? Like, did people talk about that in the clubhouse? If someone put an article out, would they be like, "What the hell"? Oh, without a doubt, without yeah. a doubt, we see a. <laughs> it cracks me up because the players go to line is I, I don't really care what anybody thinks or, or what anybody says. Well, that's quite the contrary. Most mm-hmm. guys, myself included, and most of the guys that I played with and against uh, care more than you think and, and are in tune to more than you think. As far as articles back in, back in the early two thousands, it was articles before the internet blew up. Mm-hmm. So it was physical newspapers. It was ESPN. We didn't have all these outlets like we have now. So I was pretty in tune to everything that was said about me every negative article I took it to this is the way I took it as a player I'm paid a lot of money to do a job and with that comes uh, there's a price to be paid for that you're going to have a great career it's going to open tons tons of doors you're going to make a lot of money Uh, but if you're not if you're not doing your job if you're not playing well you've got to be open to criticism and that's part of the game because when you are playing well, when you're carrying your load, uh, there's going to be a heck of a lot of praise your way. So you've got to take the good with the bad. I always took that approach as if I wasn't playing well or, or I made a mistake, I need to be criticized. That's part of the game. I mean, you start you stop criticizing and try to comb over everything. Uh, the audience won't take you serious. So So I expected to be criticized. And I always thought, you know what? as long as you criticize me in a professional manner, I've got no problem with it. You know, that's on me. I need to play better. You're right. The problems I had were the guys that would take pot shots and, mm-hmm. and unclassy digs at you. And then didn't have, they wouldn't come face you in that clubhouse. A guy that's willing to stand up, criticize you in a professional way, come to the clubhouse the next day and ask me a question with a mic in my face. I'm going to respect that a lot. And, and that's the approach I took is this is a tough game and we know what we're signing up for. You want to be a big league player. You want to hit third in the lineup. You want to make millions of dollars. Well, there's something that comes with that. That's called uh, accountability. And you got to play like that contract. And when you're not playing, you're going to hear about it. And woe is me. If, if that's too tough for you, that's, that's what we're, we're here. You know, that's, that's our job. And, and I always accepted that. And I had no problem with it because uh, you got to take the good with the bad. You posted more times than you didn't, though, Brett. Four silver or two silver sluggers, four gold gloves. What are you more proud of? Um, uh, The gold gloves. And by the way, I should have more than four. I should have like six or seven. Why don't you? Why don't you? Because of the uh, it's voting? Tu- it's Damn tough. writers. It's it's tough. It's tough. No, it, seriously, uh, the gold gloves. Because as a young kid in the minor leagues coming up, uh, my MO was uh, he's a, he's an offensive second baseman. And I kind of took that early in my career. I took that personal like, Hey, I'm a really good defender. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to prove to you I'm a really good defender. I worked my butt off the first two, three years of my professional career on the defensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, eventually started winning some gold gloves. But I just found that as much as offense is sexy and glamorous and who doesn't love hitting a three-run over to win the game and walk it off, of course, that's that's the ultimate. But it gave me – the defense gave me some solace. I mean, this game is so hard and hitting to the end. Some, some of my best years where I put up MVP numbers, uh, man, hitting is hard, and it was hard to do. Defense after I that initial two, three years uh, of professional baseball, defense came really easy for me. And and uh, it was something to when you weren't hitting, man, I have something to go to. Mm-hmm. I can go out on defense, make a great play and, and, and take a hit away from somebody else or or turn a big double play that helps us win this game tonight. And it really uh, gave me a mental break. Cause I really took it personal. Like I know when I'm not seeing the ball good and I'm not swinging good. And I, and I go get my glove and I go, all right, we're going to do something about that today. And it kind of kept me sane. You know, I look at the designated hitters in our game today <laughs> and I played with one of the best Edgar, one of my, still one of my great friends in the game. And I used to look at him and go, man, it's gotta be tough. Cause there's nothing you could, if you're not hitting, there's nothing you can do except for ride that stationary bike and wait, wait to make another out in about, 45 minutes. And, <laughs> and he used to laugh. He goes, yeah, Booney. And in the way Edgar speaks, and he just says, yes, you, it, it is a learning process. And I said, yeah, I'm glad I didn't never had to learn that because I don't know how good I would have been at just, just being a hitter, being a DH. Uh, like I said, defense, it really gave me an outlet uh, when the offense wasn't there. To me on the mental side for a DH, like it is a different level. I'm not saying obviously you got to be on the field and and you got to have your instincts and your baseball IQ to be able to play a, a defensive position, but that's, I'm always curious getting like really inside the psychology of a DH in terms of how they're able to stay sane and not ruminate, right? Like if you're somebody that just keeps thinking about things, you are so screwed, or at least it seems that way. And that's, what it's, it said. seems like the, the DHs and the great ones, it was always a, it wasn't something that was natural. It was something that was acquired over time and they get a routine down. They had what they did. It was almost like being a closer, you know, when closers were only used in the ninth inning, you know, how do you get prepared for that one inning when the game started three hours ago? Uh, and, and the guys, they have their, they have their routine. Edgar would go up in between every at bat. He'd watch a video, but he had a stationary bike when he thought he was about 15 minutes out. And that's, I think he put some headphones on and that's how he got ready for his next at bat. Uh, but he said at first, he said, Booney, it was hard for me at the beginning to just, cause I loved playing third base. And when they said I was going to be the DH, he said he balked at first. He ended up being one of the greatest DHs of all time, but uh, it's definitely something you got to keep your mind. That's what he said. You got to keep your mind, body uh, occupied because there's a lot of downtime you, you hit. And if you're not getting a hit, well, then now you got to wait an hour until your next, next opportunity. He said it was like pinch hitting four times a game. And, and once again, pinch hit. And I hated pinch hit. I think of all the pinch hits times I pinch hit it in my life. I think I got one hit oh. and I just, every time I just, no, I don't want to pinch hit. It's just one and done. Uh, there's something special for the guys that do it for a living. It's definitely got to have a, a certain knack. How much of DH, though, success do you think is personality wise? You look at David Ortiz, who's a very different personality than, I don't know, J.D. Martinez. Didn't seem like anything bothered Poppy. No, because he, he was that bigger than life personality. Um, J.D. Martinez, you're right. He's very technical. He studies uh, everything, I think. I, I was kind of like that as a hitter. I, I I didn't let everybody know that on the surface. But, man, if you had some some data that I could get my hands on or, or tendencies or video, uh, man, I, I couldn't get enough. I was a kid in the candy shop. I think JD Martinez is like that. Uh, Poppy was probably like that more than he let on, you know, he's, okay. it, it was cool having that larger than life personality and man, Poppy just went into the, to the hall of fame. What a great career. And, and some of the, some of the, probably one of the greatest postseason players of all time. Um, but I, I think a lot more went into it. That was just his personality. You know, he walk. I, I played with guys like that. I played with a Mike Cameron who was just mm-hmm. that big smile that lights up a room every day and keeps you going for another day. You know, not everybody has that, 
uh, guys are different. Edgar Martinez is was a very quiet, quiet guy. Nobody really knew Edgar. You know, he was the big teddy bear that everybody loved. But he was passionate about about the game, and and he was a guy that was doing eye exercises and studying tape and video, uh, but then would sit back in his chair and really not say much. So they're all different, but I think the one common thing ha- they all have is not only that they're great hitters, but they all came up with a formula that worked for them. Let me ask you uh, to circle back to your podcast because it just relates to to talking stories in baseball. Do you know? Like, I guess over the three years, the most popular podcast, whether it's numbers or just feedback, because that kind of almost plays into like whether it's one of your best guests or stories or conversations when you're reflecting back. I don't need you to because I actually hate this sometimes. So I was like, what's the best like segment or interview or whatever you've ever done? And I'm well, because like, it, it, it's so hard day. And I've got years, I, was like, I don't right. know. But like, is there something that stood out to you? Um, that you've remembered, you know, whether it was a conversation or, or someone hitting you up and being like, yo, that really resonated with me, you know? Well, I, I, I this is kind of boring for the fans out there. For me, the way he thought be, uh, combining the eras uh, from the 90s and the early 2000s to the game, how we, we see it in 2023, the guy that brought that together the best and, and made it sound so simple. Mike Sosha, really interesting. I love the mental side of the game. I love talking technical analysis. I love talking a high level of the game. And Sosha made me on that podcast, scratch my head and go, Hmm, I haven't been, I haven't heard it put that way before. That's great for me. Cause I don't hear that very often. So Sosha is a guy that really resonated with me. Um, I feel like a lot of my the fun podcasts I do are are with with writers or reporters or people that talk for a living because it makes my job easy. You know, I ask a question and I check my watch and I listen <laughs> and, and they can go on for a long time. A lot of you know, I've had some fun guys on. I had Warren Sapp on recently. He was hilarious. Bar- I had Barkley uh, and you can just sit and listen to Charles all day long and he's going to say yeah. something funny. Yeah. So I've had ones like that that are really entertaining. Uh but some of Joe Theismann was fun for me. I had a guy, Michael Francis, who was a uh, he's a mob boss in the I forget the Gambino crime family. And he used wow. to come, he used to come to spring training and talk to the players about, hey, be real, be real careful how you walk when you're around these type of people, because they're trying to get information for you for the gambling segment. of. So I've had some wow. interesting. Wow, I, I've that's had some interesting. interesting yeah, I've had some interesting guys on that that kind of get me outside my comfort zone. Obviously, the easiest one is bring on a baseball player. We'll talk the game. Um, but some of my favorite ones are not necessarily that. It's getting outside my comfort zone, doing a football player, doing a basketball player. I did Bill Walton. I, I didn't even have to say two words. I no. couldn't I couldn't talk. He just kept, <laughs> you know, but fans love that. The funny thing is the two highest rated podcasts I've done, and I never thought in a million years they would be these two. Um, you know, I was thinking out oh, what is Barkley the highest rated? No, it was my mother. I did a podcast with and Steve Garvey for whatever reason. Now, Steve, wow. uh, you know, uh, from a fan standpoint, people that grew up in the Steve Garvey era love Steve Garvey. So I understand that side of it. He's still to this day, very well-spoken, had some fun stories to tell about his Dodger years. But uh, once in a while, I'll get a check like, you know who the highest rated podcast you've ever done? And, and I always try to guess and I'm never right. And it was my mom and it's Steve Garvey. So go figure. It's funny that you mentioned your mom, because I was going to ask you about her because we hear when we hear of the Boone family, obviously we hear of your grandfather, your father, you, your brother. And obviously now Jake could be another Boone in the big leagues, but where was mom in all of this? Like how big of a role did she play? Um, you know, sometimes you know, they, they always say behind every good man, there's a good woman. I, I would imagine that's mom for you. Oh, mom's unbelievable because growing up, um, dad wasn't around hardly ever. You know, he never got to see me play as a kid because during baseball season, you know, I'd get out of school and then we'd go. And if we had a game that afternoon, my dad was on the way to the ballpark. So he never got to see me play baseball, really. I mean, once in a while, he could catch a college game before spring training started. 
Uh, but dad probably saw me a handful of times from the time I was five till I was 20 years old, actually play a game. Uh, you know, he'd see me at the ballpark when I was tagging along and he'd see that, but it never saw me in games much. Mom was the one that lugged me around and took me to all my games and all my brothers to all their games. Uh, and when my grandmother was still alive, I used to look at her and Ray, my grandpa, Ray's wife, Patsy, she was an amazing woman and just an kind of like an angel. And she used to go to my grandfather played from what did I say? 47 to right around 60. And then he was a scout with the Boston Red Sox for the last 40 years of his life. And my grandmother would go to every game with my grandpa. Oh my gosh. And she would keep score. She would keep score. She kept score at all my grandpa's games for his big league career. And then she kept score of all my dad's games for 19 years. She would watch on TV or listen on the radio or whatever. She, she would keep score. And then when grandpa's scouting, she would keep score of every game. So, I mean, she had stacks and stacks of keeping score. And I remember before she passed away, I kind of looked at it. I thought that woman right there has seen more baseball than anyone on this planet, Unbelievable. <laughs> which is probably true. She died when she was about 80 years old. So now I kind of look at my mom that way. Not only did she, she, get a big glimpse of uh, a big part of her life was spent with my grandpa, but to watch my dad go from, they got married when he was in college to watch him through his whole career, to watch my entire career, uh, Aaron's entire career, watching Aaron managing now, uh, watching Jacob, uh, man, mom's mom's seen and done a lot. She probably, she knows a lot more than I probably give her credit for, but uh, <laughs> mom's been a, uh, she's, I couldn't ask for a pretty, for a more awesome mom if that's if that's correct english <laughs> what do you think made that podcast so highly rated what were the conversations i think it's because we think everybody wants to hear the big you know of course if i'm having michael jordan on oh i want to listen to michael jordan but but i think that to get the get the behind the to go behind the curtain to sue boone who for some <laughs> Some fans, you know, there's there's got to be Boone fans from from every generation now for guys that wa grew up watching my dad to guys that grew up uh, in the Northwest watching myself, uh, the people in New York that watched Aaron hit the home run and now is managing the Yankees. Uh, there's Boone fans everywhere and nobody really ever gets to hear. Mm -hmm. They get to hear, they get to hear from me all the time. They get to hear from Aaron every day after, you know, they got to ask him a question. Why he didn't win tonight? Uh, <laughs> you know, my dad's been in the game for so long. They, they've heard all our nonsense, you know, but to hear from, from the matriarch, I, yeah. I thought was an interesting idea. I said, you know, let's, let's let the fans see what it's like being the mom of all these baseball yeah. players. I love and, it. And uh, she was great. I loved having her on. So I like doing shows like that. Think outside the box and not necessarily just uh, guest after guest. I love it. That makes sense. Cause like for me, I mean, one of my favorite parts just now of our, you know, 30 ish minutes or whatever it's been um, is hearing about, you know, your mom in that story. So that makes sense to me. Like, I'm just trying to do like an instant, like ratings review. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of the most interesting parts is, is family life and, and what's going on and how, how mom and, and, and girlfriends and wives are like jokes start playing. This is how my brain works. Like jokes start playing in my head. I'm like, where are the boons allowed to like bring someone into the family that doesn't like, or, or watch baseball? Like, how would that work? You know, like I've dated people that don't want to watch sports and that, that are, I don't know if I've ever dated someone that's already into it right away, but some that are like, all right, yeah, I'll watch with you. Cool. Like what's going on. So I think that would be tough if, you know, you sit down on a first date with someone in the Boone family and you're, and you're like, Oh, so do you like baseball? I'm like, actually, I despise it. <laughs> like that would be a red flag. It's, it's funny. A uh, couple of years ago, I get a call from my daughter and we were going to dinner and I said, honey, I'll meet you. And, and my dad was going with me, excuse me, for some reason, Dad was joining us for dinner that night. So it was my oldest. My oldest is Savannah. She's 26. And she, we we're just meeting at a restaurant in, in San Diego. And she calls me last minute. And she says, Dad, um, you know, I was going to bring a date tonight. I thought, oh, can he come? I said, well, of course. I'd like to meet who my daughter's dating. So he comes in. He's this little guy he'll he'll get mad for me calling him the little guy but he shakes still, my hand he's still in the picture uh, they're engaged now they're ah. getting married next no hey. believe me i just got i just got that call dad uh we need that check for the wedding 
<laughs> so this little guy shakes shakes my hand. Hi, Mr. Boone. It's a pleasure. And uh, you know, I'm kind of giving him the the one up and down, going, "All right, who is this guy?" I mean, a gentleman beyond a gentleman. Introducing himself to my dad, we sit down, we eat dinner, uh, and I keep looking at him. I'm going, I know this kid from some. Why do I know who he is? And uh, we leave for the night. You know, they get in the car, they go home. I call, talk to my daughter the next day. I said, why do I know that kid that you took to dinner last night? She goes, well, what'd you think? I said, I, I think he was a gentleman. I, I think he's as cool a kid as you could find. She goes, dad, that's Nick Allen. Nick Allen, who's now the shortstop for the Oakland A's, played against Jake when they were 12 years old. And I oh. re- always remember that kid on the field going, that kid looks like a big leaguer now and he's 12. Oh, wow. So he they got set up on a blind date and now uh, they're getting married in November. And so to your question, Scotty. uh, Yeah, you've got to be a baseball player to enter the family. So I said (laughs) and I told him, too, I said, I said, you can't player, but you can't be in the minor leagues either. I said, when you marry Savannah, you got to be a big leaguer. Minor (laughs) leaguers, we don't accept them. No, I'm kidding. He asked. He asked if you had to be a, a baseball fan. You took it another level. You got to be a baseball player. Yeah. Now, for my standards, Alana, it's a historic family. Yeah. Uh, but interesting. And he's a wonderful kid. He's a, he's just a, uh, I couldn't have, I, I'm lucky to have a uh, son, a future son-in-law as, as cool of a kid as, as Nick is. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to them getting married and uh, be pretty cool. Congrats. Yes. Well, Brett, uh, really a pleasure. Obviously, I, I want to finish with this too is because I was thinking about this as well as my brain's churning. Um, broadcast voice. I would even take it a step further. Podcast voice. So, um, Alana, would you agree? Like the the voice fits the broadcast world, and specifically because I'm a huge podcast listener, the the podcast world. So I don't know if you've been told I that think before. The voice but... fits the broadcast and podcast world, but I also think the voice fits the stature, the face, and the resume. If that makes Ooh. any sense. There you go. And we can be your agency anytime, you know. Well, I'll take that as a compliment, but I take 10%, by the way. 10%. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty hard. I know know players usually it's like three to five, but I take 10. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm included in that package. So I'll I'll work on my own negotiation. Probably a a beer. Scotty, you, you, you know, my number, you know, my number, bring me that, bring me that, bring me that big deal. I will bring you that bread, cover the wedding, the whole deal. But Brett, this, (laughs) this was great. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, Good luck with the pod. Obviously we'll continue to listen and, uh, and keep doing your thing. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you. So, Alana, no doubt, Brett Boone can talk. That's why he's hosting his own, I think it's two times a week, he said, podcast. But one of my favorite parts just now was, hey, if you want to be in the Boone family, like if you're dating someone in the Boone family, you better know baseball. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a requirement, right? You better treat my daughter well or treat my son well or treat my mom well or whatever it is. And you better know a little something about the game and uh obviously there's a generation upon generation upon generation of uh boone players uh in in this league um but yeah you know i did i love that part of it too scott but i also love the fact that you know he talked about his mom because you figure you know everybody knows about his dad everybody knows about his brother uh everybody knows about him but it's like you you can't nobody reaches those types of achievements um, without a whole team around them. And, and especially when you're young, you know, it's, it's the mom taking you to all the different practices and games and stuff. And if you happen to have a father in the game itself, you know, the, these moms are pretty much single moms during the season, um, you know, with their dads are out playing or, you know, even coaches and, and that type of stuff too. So good to hear about mama Boone and, and just the whole thing as a family affair. Agreed. So another family affair here. I mean, I'm only going to cover the son and that's Ken Griffey Jr. But his father obviously had a nice big league career too, but we're doing a little this week in baseball history. And April 10th, 1989 is when Griffey Jr. was the youngest player in the bigs. And he had his first career homer on the first pitch he ever sees at the kingdom, his home field. So I'm, I'm guessing just based off this, this little uh, tidbit here that he did have some road baseball, but when he got home, he was like, 
hey, fans, get ready for the ride of your damn life, aside from a World Series, and hit a homer on the first pitch that he saw. So pretty damn cool, and he was a he was a wise 19 years old. I mean, that's just so Griffey Jr.-esque, is it not? I mean, you yeah. just like you have so much fanfare and there's so much hype surrounding your name and he lives up to the hype. And there, there's so few players, Scott, that have lived up to the hype in our game. I feel like Ken Griffey Jr., obviously the kid, has lived up to that hype. I feel like current player Bryce Harper yes. has lived up to the hype, maybe exceeded the hype if that's even possible. Both of these kids, remember, 19 years of age. Um, come to the big leagues and have so much expectation and, and, you know, how are they going to perform in the, in the, under the bright lights and, you know, people, somebody, I can't remember who said it, but somebody was like, basically uh, what a prospect means is that just basically equals unproven. And Bryce Harper has done every single thing he could have done to live up to it. And then some, and I just love that his, you know, career is, is far from over God willing. And um, you know, oh, hopefully yeah. he gets back to the Philly soon. And the one other topping to this stat for Griffey I did see now here is that Homer was on Ken Griffey Sr.'s 39th birthday. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, of, of course, course it was. was. Why? Yeah. I mean, what are they? so they're 20 years apart? Yep. That's adorable. 20 years apart. That's just so cool. That you know, is adorable. Not, how many, how, <laughs> how many people can say like, oh yeah, I played with my pops in the big leagues. I was 19. He's 39. So obviously one at the beginning, one at the end, but. I don't know though. I I would still. I bet you that senior still rakes. I bet you if you, if you threw. Yeah, I bet you if you threw senior batting practice, like okay, so throw some meatballs like right down the heart of the plate. I bet you he still rakes. Oh yeah, I would say. I mean, I work with quite a few former ball players that talk a big game, and and I've said like, have you taken swings? And I'm like, can you still hit homers? And they're like, oh yeah. Can I run around the bases well? Can I do anything else that well besides throw and catch basic? No, but they say that doesn't leave you for a while. So. Yeah, nobody wants that. to nobody wants to play defense, Scott. People just no. want to hit the long ball. Yeah. yeah, you could do a whole senior circuit if you just have them be very one dimensional. Yeah, you I place mean, them why in the box. We do it like hit. the like the senior tour in yes. golf. Like, why don't we just do a let's just smash dingers if you're 50 and over? I actually think we have something here <laughs> at the All Star Game. Something like that. I don't know if a derby would play that well because I don't know how many homers they could consistently hit, but maybe it's um they have to hit targets or something on the field and you just bring back some legends and just have yeah, them like a like an out. AARP target. There yeah. could be one for like, you know, hearing aids. I can say this because <laughs> I'm really not that far off the pace, let's be honest. So um yeah, no. They can rake. They can still rake. That you're right though, that never leaves you. The only reason why you wouldn't be able to do it is you might have the same situation that Clayton Kershaw had with the World Baseball Classic. Can't get oh, the insurance. Right, yeah. The yeah. insurance premium. I'm going to need real insurance, <laughs> Aflac. I'm going to need it all because I'm quite certain that I'm going to, I will tear something. <laughs> that might hold this event back. We might not be the first ones to come with, <laughs> up with this idea, but these are the kind of ideas we kick around. Inside the Lounge, we'll see you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.